Reading from the Gospel according to St. John. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman responds, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank water from it? Jesus responds, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to him, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, well, sir, give me this water that I may never be thirsty or keep coming here to draw water again. Jesus, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You're right in saying I have no husband, but you have had five husbands and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Well, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where the people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship who we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks the, such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman responds. I know that the Messiah is coming, who is the Christ, and when he comes, he will proclaim all these things to us. Jesus, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And just then the disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with the woman, 
But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? And the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Then they left the city and were on their way to him. But meanwhile, the disciples, they were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. He says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him food or something to eat. Jesus, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do not say four months more than comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. For here, the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans came from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed two more days. And many more believed in him because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer what you said that we believe, but we have heard ourselves, and we know that Jesus is truly the Savior of the world. These are our sacred stories. Sometimes the lectionary presents me a difficult text to preach from. You know, one of those texts that's not part of the covenant canon. I typically enjoy those texts because it pushes my brain to think about how might this text speak to us here, covenant. And then an attempt to keep with our theme of preaching from the gospel according to St. John, the lectionary presents me a text that has been preached on many, many times. In so many contexts, I'm not so sure what I can actually add to this commentary, because it's a text that if you look through my well-worn college Bible, um, you will see lots of annotations from all of the Black Baptist preachers I've heard uh, preach this message. Come see a man. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. There's not so good comments about the woman there, but we'll reframe that story today, obviously. Um, it's a very popular text. It, it, the text has, quite frankly, so many messages. I mean, so many scriptures, so many, you can just take one of those texts and just preach off of one particular scripture by itself. If you've been raised in, um, especially if you've been raised in any evangelical church, any Baptist church, or, any, or Church of Christ, or Church of God, or whatever, Pentecostal church, surely you've heard several sermons out of 
this encounter with the woman at the well. So it's out of that framework, the idea that that this that this sermon is very rich, this that this story is very rich, that this exchange between Jesus and the woman, Jesus and the disciples is so rich that I actually have to ask the question, why is this text so popular? Why is this story so rich that preachers across the theological spectrum choose to read and say something out of this text? A woman talks to a man. A man talks to a woman. A woman. Unlike the annotations in my Bible that talks about her ignorance, the woman unabashedly engages Jesus in some serious theological discourse. A Jewish man talks to a Samaritan, someone of another ethnicity, and initiates a conversation. This unnamed woman, one with a slightly different lineage, evangelizes and brings more people of her same ethnicity to, bring, to believe in Jesus. The woman calls the man a prophet. The man calls himself Messiah, Christ. The Samaritan calls him Savior. A tired, thirsty, and probably hungry man. The text is saying in traveling all morning. Either out of his physical condition or because of who he is, Enjoy saying cryptic messages to his hearer. And the man and this hearer seem to be talking past each other. Consider this exchange. Man, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Woman, sir, you don't have a bucket. Man, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty. Woman, well, give me some so I don't have to keep coming back here to this well and getting some water. It almost begs for that Mars Venus uh, joke. <laughs> Let's try this exchange. Man, go call your husband. Woman, I have no husband. Man, I know. Particular version of Jesus didn't have siblings. Or this particular version of Jesus wasn't married, because that's not the that's not the thing you say to your partner is I know after you basically just said something that is obvious to both of you. 
And then just as we begin to have this, you know, Mars, Venus joke, then the same thing happens with a bunch of men. Group of men. Rabbi, eat something. Man, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Something about this text, all of this crypticness, all of these exchanges, with, 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 with the conversation that is taking place, that makes it loved by many preachers, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of our theological persuasions. You see, our conservative friends like it. Our conservative friends like this text because of the proclamations as Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as the Christ. And once the woman has an encounter with Jesus, then she goes and tells the world, her world, but she goes and tells the world and more people come forth to be saved. More people come to believe in Jesus. Feminist scholars love the text because feminist scholars look at this text and say, this woman is not so ignorant as, as these men think that she is. Gail O'Day notes that this unnamed woman calls Jesus to task for breaking the social norms and talking to her, a woman, someone of a different ethnicity, someone of a different gender. What a scandal it was, O'Day notes, for this conversation to be taking place. And what is more awe-inspiring is even with the crypticness of Jesus' statements, this unnamed woman, no, nothing ignorant about her, this unnamed woman engages into, in some serious theological dialogue with Jesus. And she makes him the representative of all the Jewish people, calling him and the people to task about one of the most serious theological debates of their time, where to worship God. And Jesus' response causes her to do some self-reflection. She goes off to evangelize. Scholars of race and ethnicity love this text because here we have a Jew and a Samaritan engaging in dialogue, actually getting to know each other. And I find it fascinating that while the text says that Jews do not share things in common with the Samaritans, closer look at the text, and she says something different. Unlike the text that says Jews do not share things in common with the Samaritans, what's fascinating is these two groups of people, or at least this man and this woman, Jesus and this unnamed Samaritan woman, have more in common than what anybody else, or even them themselves, 
would acknowledge. Both have a need of water. Both have common ancestors. Both have a need to be heard. Both have a need to be known. Both have a need for food. Both have a need to be affirmed. Both have a need for community. Both have a need of belonging. Both in this context have a need to know who God is and where to worship God. Howard Thurman writes, every human being is deeply nourished by the feeling of being cared for, of being dealt with totally or completely. Thurman continues, there is an inexhaustible assurance of well-being that floods the life when one is aware of being touched at a center in oneself that is beyond all good and evil, beyond all merit and demerit. Thurman concludes, and this is true. This is true without regard to culture, background, or condition. Text is powerful. This text is powerful that among Christians in this country, regardless of our, our theological persuasions, we read and find something powerful out of this text. Seemingly ordinary people, objects, experiences, and conversations become a vehicle for an extraordinary encounter with oneself, other humans, and with God. The ordinary, ordinary is used to help people, to help us open our eyes and see a new reality, a new humanity, a new spirituality that rises above the internal and external social boundaries that we have constructed. Just consider, just consider water. Two hydrogen mo mo molecules combined with one molecule of oxygen equals an essential compound that is necessary for life. Living here on the Gulf Coast, water is everywhere. Water is rather ordinary. It's something that we take for granted, we use don't think about until we're placed under a boil order. Otherwise, it's ordinary. We consume it, we use it without thinking about it on a daily basis. It's ordinary. And in our story, Jesus, who is tired and sitting and needs a drink, just simply makes a request to the first person, seemingly, we don't know if anybody came beforehand, but we'll just use a little midrash here, just seemingly to the first person that comes to the well and just says, give me a drink. 
And had this woman just simply given this tired man, who she has no idea who he is, a drink of water, our story may have just ended right here. Wouldn't even be found in the book of John. But instead, she uses this, this request for an ordinary object to launch what becomes ultimately a theologically rich dialogue. And together in this back and forth dialogue, water is transformed from this ordinary object or water is used, this ordinary object is used as a vehicle. This object as essential for daily life, a physical life becomes an extraordinary object that if taken, it becomes an essential necessity for a healthy sense of self a healthy, vibrant spirituality, an open relationship to a deeper and eternal relationship with God. Water that I would give them becomes a, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. This dialogue, water. Water remains ordinary, and it becomes extraordinary. It's not just water, it's also food. Ordinary objects, ordinary solids, full of vitamins and minerals and nutrients that we need for daily physical living. Like water, we partake of it to satisfy our cravings. And long after we are done eating, aside from commenting about weight gain, or making us sleepy, or the quality of the meal, we don't give much thought, or maybe I don't give much thought, to actually what that food is doing to me. You see those vitamins and minerals and nutrients are being absorbed in our bodies to renew us, to energize us, to make our organs function. Food. Food, for many of us, is something that we take for granted until we're like Jesus, tired and after a long journey and sitting next to a well while someone else, here the disciples, are off to get food. Jesus, quite frankly, needs some physical replenishment. He needs something ordinary. And while the disciples are off getting this ordinary object necessary for Jesus' replenishment, Jesus is left to sit and wait for this wonderfully scandalous conversation to occur. And when the disciples return with their groceries in their hand, they find themselves shocked. Oh, you know this Jesus. Can't leave him by himself because you leave him alone for a few minutes. You'll find him overturning some kind of social norm. And you'll find him calling somebody to a, do, a new relationship with themselves. You leave him alone for a few minutes. You'll find himself calling someone to a new relationship with God. Jesus' lack of food and energy leads to an extraordinary act of creating a new social norm for men and women, Jews and Samaritans, can coexist in harmony. While the disciples are still hung up on whether Jesus has been fed or whether he should be talking to this unnamed woman and getting him to eat, Jesus himself transforms food into an extraordinary object necessary for a healthy spirituality, a healthy sense of self, 
a healthy relationship with God and others. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of God who sent me to do God's work. Like water, this story. Food takes on a spiritual meaning, a deeper meaning. It invites us into something extraordinary. The story is rich. This encounter with this unnamed Samaritan woman probably just an ordinary encounter, but it made it into a sacred story. Preachers preach on it. It's a story about how ordinary encounters and ordinary objects that give rise to extraordinary opportunities for us to understand what we have in common with each other. Like Jesus and the woman, we have a need for water. Like Jesus and the woman, we have common ancestors, spiritual and physical. Like Jesus and the woman, we have a need to be heard. We have a need to be known. We have a need to be understood. We have a need to be listened to. We have a need for food. We have a need for affirmation. We have a need to be connected with God, a higher power, something divine, so that we may enjoy eternal life right here on this earth and not wait until we die. This story, this encounter, about how ordinary objects Ordinary encounters, ordinary actions, open us up to different ways, means of accessing God. Not bound by social beliefs, not bound by belief affirmations and belief statements, not bound by race, or gender, or ethnicity. Not bound by carefully constructed things that one must believe in order to believe in Christ. Now it's about breaking into those things, breaking into those very, those very structures that we have placed and opening access God, that spirit, which exists beyond us, among us, and who wants to be seen inside of us. This we say, thanks be to God. Amen.